and I felt strong, but then one day I seen guys doing muscle ups, I was like, whoa, let me try that. Whoa, I can't do it. Yeah, right. I think as human beings, we strive to be active. I think that if society started to embrace Ayurveda and understand Ayurveda, we'd be gravitating towards a greater society. Do you ever see Cali being an Olympic sport? Hello and welcome to Unstoppable. Today we get fit. We are talking calisthenics, Ayurveda and yoga with Ken Galarazzo. I hope I got that right, Ken. Ken was actually a personal trainer in 2007 before he found calisthenics. Actually co-founded the World Calisthenics Organization with business partner Brent Cosso. The WCO is actually the leading company in calisthenics education and events worldwide. They launched their now signature brand, the Battle of the Bars at the LA Fit Expo, which combines elements of street workout, parkour, gymnastics, and free running. And in 2019, he completed his yoga teacher training, which has brought him also to Ayurveda, the sister science of yoga. Now he teaches workshops on Ayurveda and believes it's important in maintaining overall health. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in health, you're interested in fitness, training in calisthenics, then this is a podcast for you. Listen up. This episode is brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for businesses. If you have ever wanted to grow your business faster than what you can right now, if you need to make more revenue, if you need more leads, if you need more clients, if you need to know how to plan your business in a strategic way in order to hit big goals, if you need to learn how to scale your business and grow your team and your business so that you have more freedom, then this program is for you. Imagine three days immersed with me where we cover all aspects of business, but we do it from an immersive, but also an execution standpoint. We execute every step of the way and we're looking at five key areas we're looking at your psychology we're looking at your marketing your sales your leadership and we're looking at your planning and how we integrate these five key areas to grow your business and your brand quickly so if you'd like to find out more information kerwinray.com but ladies and gentlemen it's my absolute honor and a real pleasure to welcome ken galazzo did i get that right galazzo yeah galazzo how do you pronounce huh Gayatso. Dear Lord, I probably should have asked you that before <laughs> I even pronounce it. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure. Now, you, oh my God, like your, your CV reads like, uh, it almost reads like, you know, like it almost reads like Chris's rap sheet. <laughs> so you've done a lot. But um, in terms of introducing yourself, like what's the 15 to 30 second elevator pitch you give people and people say, who is Ken? I mean, not to, I don't overcomplicate things or sugarcoat anything. I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a trainer. I'm a physical trainer, you know, and I uh, do my best to teach people about the body. And, um, you know, and that can go through many routes. But, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything and try to put major labels behind it. Like, that's what I do. I like to teach people. Um, I'm interested in the human body and showing people how to feel better. So you've been a trainer since 2007 now. Yes. So you're coming up now. What's that? If I did the mathematics, that's like 13 years in the industry. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, right. That's a long time. Yeah. So what got you in the fitness industry in the first place? So I was always active growing up. And um, towards my later years in high school, I had a couple friends that would go to the gym. They were like football players. They would go to the gym and work out. And, you know, one time they invited me and I was kind of reluctant. But, you know, you get a little bit of pressure and you go. And um, I just enjoyed the atmosphere. And, I, you know, what I really enjoyed was understanding that you can get stronger. I really liked I'm empowering myself with that idea that I don't have to be where I'm at, that if I put the work, I'm going to get stronger because at the time, I was not very strong. So You didn't come from a sporting background? Well, I played sports, but I played baseball. You know, yeah. I played a little bit of soccer and, you know, I did taekwondo, but nothing that was going to give me, you know, a certain amount of brute strength. Right. Right. There were more skill-based activities, I would say. Yeah, right. And so you started training with your football mates, you get into the gym and you realize, oh, wow, I can actually start getting stronger. Yeah. Is so that, after a couple of weeks passed and I yeah. was like, okay, it's getting a little easier. I can go a little heavier. So, yeah. you know, you can get stronger, right? Did that so, become a little addicting for you, you think? It became way addicting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> it became very addicting. Um, I think that's what really started my journey in fitness and, you know, becoming addicted to the idea of getting stronger where gradually the weight I was pushing was just heavier and heavier and heavier, um, you know, as far as relative to, to me, right? So, I mean, I got to the point where I felt very strong and I was, you know, benching, you know, twice, I could bench twice my weight and I felt strong. But then one day I seen guys doing muscle ups, I was like, 
whoa, let me try that. Whoa, I can't do it. Yeah, right. You know, and, and that So how long had you been training before you bumped into calisthenics? Before that, maybe around, maybe around like four years. Okay. You know, three, four years of training hard and trying to get strong in the And that was all weights. gym work, like traditional weights. Traditional weight yep. training, you know, bench press, barbell rows, you know, Squats, just whatever deadlifts. you're going to see in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. And then one day you walk into the gym and you see a dude float above the bar. He just started doing muscle-ups and my mind was a little blown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's amazing how many people have been roped into the sport through seeing a muscle-up for the first time. Yes. Like I know speaking to Chris, like uh, he was saying the same thing, you know, he was in deep, a deep depression at the time. You know, his, his mum had passed away and he went to the gym to feel better and he saw a guy do a muscle-up. He's like, God, what's that all about? I know for myself, I was watching a video on Instagram. I saw Dijan, like Dijan Stipke do a muscle up. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this witchcraft? Like, it really, so it blew your mind, right? It blew my mind. And, you know, it really hit me when I went up there to do it and yeah. I couldn't do it. Yeah, right. You know, and that kind it's so of, humbling. Yeah, it's very humbling. And that's what I love about calisthenics. And it really is a humbling sport. Because in, so in so many ways, like this is, and I'm so new to it. I've only been doing it for 18 months now. You, you're, you're like a a pioneer in the sport almost, um, you have to work so hard and you get so little in return for that little bit. Like the planches, for example, you know, you have yeah. to work in some cases for years unless, you know, you're a freak of nature. What was it about calisthenics that drew you towards it? The simplicity of it. Yeah. Um, that you didn't need much, right? It was more about starting to, to master your own self, your own body rather than just the external weights. Now you were learning to apply those same principles, but with your own body weight, mm. right? And I found that kind of a lot, more, a lot more intriguing, right? Because there was so many more aspects to it than just straight, okay, let me put on more weight to the bench press. Let me just push a bar. Exactly. Yeah. And so you found calisthenics in 2010, is that right? Around 2010, yeah. So that's still quite early in terms of the second wave of calisthenics? Because we're sitting yes. here in, in Santa Monica, <laughs> the original Muscle Beach is out the front. Because uh, going back in the early 1900s, calisthenics was all the go, right? There was, yeah, there was... What is the then, history of Cali? Do you know the history? Um, I mean, I think body weight training goes back, you know, probably thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that human beings have always figured that they can get stronger by training their bodies. But I know that during the 1920s and 1930s out in Santa Monica was the original Muscle Beach, and it was packed. And I'll tell you right now, if you, all, if you ever saw photos from the original Muscle Beach, those guys would blow us away. Wow. Okay, so let me just not sugarcoat it. Those guys would blow us away. <laughs> and um, what happened was, you know, as they got into World War II and they started, um, you know, had a draft, they had people going into the military. And after the war, because now, you know, Nazi Germany, they're the enemy, because there was so much influence in the physical education department coming from Germany and the mm. gymnastic style. Eastern Bloc, They yeah, kind right. of started to shun the Germanic system. Wow. Right? And so the PE system started to change, where instead of it went from uh, physical fitness, physical, physical education, teaching these things, to now, you know what, I think if we just get a ball and run back and forth and throw it in throw the Throw it at each other. <laughs> like, this will do. So it changed from physical education to physical activity. Right. right, and it was in part due to this whole stigma of of breaking away from that system that was tied to Germany, and um, and then you know as the years progressed, you got Arnold Schwarzenegger coming in, you had the bodybuilding era, so then you had a lot of focus starting to shift towards weight training, uh, building up the muscles, looking like Arnold, and um, you know so as the, you start to shift in a different direction, obviously this is kind of left on its own to fend for itself and kind of fizzles and it remains in pockets, but it really as a, you know, as a cultural thing has kind of died off a little bit at that time. Almost to the point where you'd get cobwebs on the bars down at Muscle Beach. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we had the resurgence. Like, it's interesting. I actually didn't know that, 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 that history, which is really interesting and it makes a lot of sense. What was it that started to bring it back into mainstream? Um, first of all, I mean, social media did a lot. Yeah. Right. So right Definitely. place, right time. Um, you know, at the time, uh, when I first started, I met a group of guys and they had a team, right? They're called Barholics. And, um, we started doing shows at places. So we went to the LA Fit Expo, for example, 
and we did like a performance there. And this is 2010, right? So this was, the first one was 2000, 2012, we started okay. doing shows. And at this point, was calisthenics on its second wave still relatively unknown? It was starting to become known in Europe. Right. Right? So maybe like in, in that Eastern Bloc. Because it, it never really lost known. popularity over there, I mean, I assume. Not to the degree of here. Yeah. Okay. Right? So I think, you know, the United States is very influential, right? People see the movies, they mm. see what's coming out of Hollywood. Yeah. And so they replicate those things. Yeah. Right? So although it, it, it um, still remained there, it was stronger than it was here. Right. So over there, it was still pretty active. They had their competitions. And I remember the first time I saw one of their competitions, I thought, wow, I really want to compete in this. You know, like I want to go. And at that time, the only way you're really going to compete was to go to go to Russia. Right. Right. And what sort of competitions were they having? Was it Battle of the Bars type stuff back then or? So it was more of like a performance base, but it was on the same principle of of skills and freestyle and strength moves. But it was performance based. Right. Okay, and then uh, you guys get involved. So what happened was we started to do shows. Um, so we went to the Alley Fit Expo, to yeah. Idea Fit, Ursa, and we were kind of spreading it amongst the, the fitness community, right. right, so to speak. So I remember going back the next year and people would recognize us just from you know, us going from booth to booth, doing handstand push-ups, just kind of just showing what the human body can do in a very raw form at that time. So the first time you went to LA Fit Expo, you didn't even have a booth. You were just going around. We didn't. So we did both. We didn't, right. we didn't have a booth. Um, but this company that wanted us to, you know, be on their products were like, come right. in, do some shows, yeah. which is what we did. Um, so, yeah, that's how we kind of started to get our, our name out there. And then, um, you know, with social media starting to grow, that actually, yeah. you know, compounded that that work and effort and then you guys actually founded the battle of the bars is correct that right? w, or actually, what came first was it wco or battle of the bars so wco well so i guess wco is like the company name yeah we started battle of the bars right? right we needed something to call it yeah and then we needed the name for an event so actually the way it happened was you know that team that we had started to grow right um me being a trainer i started to have like a little par- pocket of um classes that were learning calisthenics and they were like going to be my future athletes gotcha right and so you know so, how so, things so a little segue so did you start because you were a personal trainer at this stage right Correct. and so did that heavily influence the training that you were doing with your clients and those and those clients started to become athletes that you were training to compete 100 percent. i would but i would say that a lot of those clients that i originally had i converted them to calisthenics but it was not a an extreme variation of it right right okay and the people that were coming to me were the ones who were starting to see me on social media and like i just want to learn yeah so it's like all right i'll start doing a class two times a week at the park you know if you guys want to come come and um so as the group started to grow at a certain point you start to look at okay what's the hierarchy here right who's who's the best who's number one yeah and all right we're gonna settle this we're gonna have a competition like everyone part of the team has to compete we're going to get a neutral judge, and we're going to see who the man is, right? We're going to see. Instead of, you know, people have, being egotistical, thinking they're the man, we're going to find out. And when we did the event, we had a little group starting to gather, like outsiders. People walking the boardwalk started to come, gravitated towards the bars, and all of a sudden they're sitting, and we have a little, little audience going. Now, I'm going to assume this was on a Sunday in Santa Monica. Sunday at Venice Beach, oh, Venice. Muscle Beach. Muscle Beach, right. Yeah. Because I'm, it, it's become like a mainstay on Sundays at Venice and even down here yeah. in Santa Monica. Every, every Sunday, it's like it's, it's a madhouse down here. And so you, you launched the first competition? Yeah. So me and uh, we had a, the judge. His name was Brendan Coso. Yeah. Right? He had a product at the time called the CrossCore. And so he was our neutral judge because okay. everybody in the team kind of knew him and he can relate to what we were doing. There was an understanding. And after the event, I remember we were, we were talking about it and he told me, you know what, I think I'm going to try to pitch this to the, to the Fit Expo because he had prior engagements with them, renting booth space and doing prior business where, you know, he had the contacts. And so about a month later, he had a meeting with them and made the proposal of, hey, if we put this bar competition, you know, we can get so much booth space, blah, blah, blah. And um, they said yes. And from there, it's just like, all right, let's get this thing going. And did it become an instant hit? It ended up, yes. 
it was way, <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, you seemed yeah. a little hesitant there. What's that about? Well, there was just a lot that kind of just fell together. You it's know what I mean? Really there did, was just right? so many things that came together um, that just made it possible and that made it what it was, you know? So at the time, I remember I had a client upfront pay for X amount of sessions more than they normally did. So I could have enough money to bring out Ed Checo, who was the president of Bar Stars at the time. So Bar Stars was the team in the United States. Right. Right. So I knew that if this event was going to have any sort of credibility, we needed to have somebody who at least was some sort of face in that moment. Okay. Right. So who's Bar Stars in all of this? Bar Stars was a team from, okay. the, from the East Coast, and they okay. got really big on YouTube with um, some of their videos that right. had like Hannibal for King in it. And um, so that's how they got. These guys are New York, right? Yeah, these yeah. are New York guys, and, and they got really big on YouTube. And like I said, Ed was was the first, one of the first Americans to compete in Russia. Right. Right. So he kind of had that. Uh, he already had that reputation in mm. within the community. Gotcha. So he I, he came out, and then um, another guy from Germany was going to happen to be vacationing. I sent him an invite, and he said he would come be a judge. And then there was a, a girl who was a fitness model, not like a huge fitness model, right? But, uh, but she had a, a big following. And for whatever reason, she was like digging the calisthenics. And I told her, hey, if you came out, the Fit Expo would promote you and put you on their, their page. And all you have to do is come out and like support the event. And um, she brought, so she actually brought a lot of eyes. And I think she opened that market up in Brazil because she's really big in Brazil. Right. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bella Falcone. No. Anyway, she's, you know, big in Brazil. And um, so I think a combination of all those things together, right, just when the video took off, it had, you know, over a million views within X amount of time. And this is from the, the Battle of the Bars. Yeah, from the first one. Wow. You know, and it was, um, yeah, we made it happen. <laughs> so was Battle of the Bars really the formalization of what was happening on social media? Because Bar Stars, um, it's, it's rung a little bit of a bell now. It's a, they, those guys are like Bronx, is that right? Bronx, yeah, Harlem? Yeah, in that area, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were quite popular on, on, on YouTube, but there was no competition, was there? There was nothing the, consolidating it. All the big competitions were, were in Russia. In Russia, yeah. yeah. So there was nothing big in the United States. Um, they might have had you know a couple of mini ones, but yeah. I think bringing it to the... Fit Expo as well made it a little more official. Yeah. And then bringing the, you know, who was maybe the face of calisthenics in the US and some of his teammates, it just made the whole event like, okay, here's the stamp of approval. It's legit. So the video goes viral. And what happens next? You guys um, realize you're onto something? Yeah. Did you know 100%. you were onto something before it, that took off? Ah, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think. So when I first started calisthenics and I found it, I really believed in it. I still yeah. believe in it. I don't even think it's we've scratched the surface no. of where it's going to go. Um, I still remember the first time I saw it. Like as I said, and I went, I started looking. I was like, I, my first thought was, "Fuck, this is going to be the next CrossFit." Yeah. Like this, re and it's going to be bigger than CrossFit. Like yeah. to my opinion, and like you said, we're we're only scratching the surface. Yeah. So I knew I knew there was a market for it. Um, the problem is in the sport aspect of it. When you see it for the first time, you really don't know how to judge it. Yeah, because that was going to be one of my questions. How the fuck do you judge this stuff, man? So this is this is why we had you know people that already had backgrounds yeah. in it as our judges, and um, that helps. You know, so we made it a combination where it's based half on skill and half on strength, right? And then we kind of started to look so skill at, being the performance side. Yeah, like right. the three sixties, yeah. the spins, and the movements. And then we looked at the strength movements. You know, could he plunge? Could he front lever? Was he doing handstand push-ups? And it was kind of, you get a total based off of the two mm. is how it's kind of started off. Right. And I could definitely say that after the first, um, after the first Fit Expo, yeah, we knew we were onto something. You know, the Fit Expo right away contacted us like, we want this, you know, like we want this to be. Yeah, staple. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so then we, we moved on to the next one and we did uh, San Jose, which is North Northern California, or like Central California, yeah. their Fit Expo, which is associated with the LA Fit Expo. And the really big one was Battle of the Bars 3, which was the following January. 
I don't know. It was just so exciting. It was the first time we did. It was the second time. This is at LA Fit Expo yeah, again. Yeah, it was yeah. the second time we did one on ones, but the first time was more of an experiment. Yeah, and it was at the the San Jose event, which is a lot smaller, maybe a quarter of the size of the people go there. And at Battle of the Bars three, the 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 area got so loud that they were sending security over just to make sure to see what happened. <laughs> and in fact, we got a call later on that mm. evening from the Olympia that they were interested in having us there because of what? the amount of just That's praise that was going on nuts. <laughs> in our area. And so then we did the Olympia maybe for like three years in a row. Okay. And um, That's a massive brand to be associated with yeah. in fitness. So, I mean, it just it just started to steamroll, especially yeah. in the first couple of years. Why only three years? What happened after three years? Well, I don't think that it... I think it's, it's still growing. Um, I just think that... I was like, it was year three like last year or something? Oh. I would say from till about like maybe the last like two years, it's kind of mellowed out a little bit where okay. it hasn't seen the, the same type of rapid growth. Right. But I also think that comes to do with, um, you know, if you don't have athletes, for example, yeah. how could you build a sport? Yeah. And it's one of those things yeah, where slow burn. we still need to build the foundations where people are recognizing what the sport is, how to train for it, how to get into it. Because otherwise, you know, you're always going to be in the search for athletes, right? And I think this is where I think the education part is extremely important, right? So over the last couple of years, I've been working on creating like a level system. That's so good. Right? Because what it does is based on the mechanics of the body, I divide it up into six major levels, each level having sub, sub levels, right? A beginner portion of it, intermediate and advanced. And then you have graduation points. So progressive. Exactly. And it's all based off, um, you know, what you can accomplish in graduating to mm. the next level. For example, when you're doing a push-up, right? When you press your body up and down, you're pressing maybe 65, 70% of your body weight. When you do a dip, you're pressing 100% of your body weight. Mm. Therefore, you would need to be able to do X amount of push-ups before you can do a dip. And no one who can do a dip, don't tell me they can't do a push-up. Right, so we just as as I got more experience in it, it's kind of led me towards towards this system because I think this is what is needed to build the athletes up and to oh, get to, to create a foundation that's going to create more athletes. Because there seems to be like a little bit of a kind of a it seems to be in the cowboy phase where there's yeah. a lot of people that get just enough information to be dangerous. Like I see these young guys on Instagram. I see them at Bondi Beach all the time. You know, they're young and they're fit and they're strong. Their hormone profile is perfect. You know, they're doing muscle-ups within two weeks and then, all, you know, literally within six weeks they're now training other, you know, they're training clients. You're like, oh, man, bro, you, you're only able to do that muscle-up based on, you know, sheer genetics in some respects or, you know, where, what the fitness came in. I can look at the mechanics and go, man, I'm not even a trainer and I can tell you right now that's not the right method. Are you seeing a lot of that? Well, like Instagram and social media definitely <laughs> created the environment for that. Yeah. You know, it definitely, it's not about your credentials. It's about, you know, how you look, mm. and you know, it's one of those things where you have to take the good with the bad. Yeah, that's true. You know, and for a little while it used to bother me, but um, you've let it go. You have to. Yeah, <laughs> have it, but to. it's funny because you see some of the, the pure Cali guys how how mad they get. You know, because some of these guys will come to the the workout on Bondi and they'll. Their whole workout consists of a photo. It's a photo shoot. It's not a workout. It's a photo shoot. Yeah, they hold a few poses, take a few photos, and that's their workout. So you're putting a level system together, like a whole progressive system of training it where people can actually become certified? Well, first, right now I'm, I'm making it like a book. Right. Right. I'm breaking it down the movements. I'm explaining the movements, why this is level one, why this is level two, Got it. why this goes with this movement. Just trying to make it as simple as I can. Yeah. Right. And, you know, make it understandable for the average person to train at home, train at the beach, train at the park. And from there... You know, we'll we'll see how it goes. You know, but I think first and foremost, I my focus is on getting this right. Yeah, right. So if someone wanted to start into calisthenics, like where would be the best place to start? Like, is there a book? Is there a uh, a video? Is there a YouTube channel? Or is there or is it you know? Because I know in Sydney, like when I put the call out for a Cali trainer, it was like fucking hard. Yeah. Like I wanted a, a proper Cali trainer, and I'm telling you, I only had out of all of Sydney, we got 3.9 million people. I had like two guys that came up on the radar that were actually like 
what you'd consider to be qualified, yeah. you know, to be able to do it. So there seems to be a, like a, a, a very big lack in, in trainers that are equipped to build the athletes that are required to, to fuel the sport. Yeah, and it's just what happens when something's new, yeah. right? And people yeah. are diving yeah. into it. It's like little by little, you're gonna, technique will come, right? Better understanding will come. And, you know, I hope that this is the book that does that. I hope this is yeah. what sets the standard where it's like, no, this is, you know, it's, it's common sense, it's practical. I'm not trying to make anything super complicated. Yeah. The push-up example is my best example. If you can't mm. do a push-up, you can't do a dip. Yeah. Simple as that. You know, 70% of your weight versus 100% of your weight. I shouldn't have to convince you of yeah. those arguments. Yeah. Do you think right now this plateau is, a gro- is more of a, uh, a foundational growth phase where, like you said, the popularity is there, but now what's happening is there's a plateau because you're building the, the base of athletes. And once you get to a, a certain volume of athletes, there's going to be the, the next explosion in the sport. Is, is that what you forecast? I think so. And yeah. another thing too is, you know, for example, when we had Battle of the Bars 3, there were no other big competitions in the United States. So we had guys coming from New York. We had guys coming from Florida because it's a small community. They're all coming, mm. right? But fast forward a couple of years, all of a sudden you have events in Florida and you have an event in New York and you have an event in Arizona and you have an event here. Now those people that were traveling to the hub can go somewhere that's only two hours away instead of taking an airplane five hours away. Mm. So I think that the growth is just, um, yeah, the way okay. you see it has to, be be adapted to understand that it's now spread out more. Yeah. And there's not a, a decentralized. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I've observed about uh, the calisthenics community is exactly that, like the community, like uh, whether it be North Bondi, whether it be Santa Monica, everyone's so fucking friendly. And I, I grew up in, uh, like I did athletics uh, through high school, but I started bodybuilding and weightlifting, you know, 13, 14, competitive bodybuilder from 15 through to 20 and powerlifter in parallels, off-season, on-season, off-season was powerlifting, on-season, you know, bodybuilding, I'd do power in the off-season to bulk up, you know, and then, you know, do more of the shapely stuff, you know, coming into pre-contest. But one of the things I noticed, you know, in the bodybuilding communities, it's, um, you know, it's, it's also very much like, I guess, the fitness community at large. It can be a little bit... <laughs> A little bit bitchy. Like can be a little bit, and not everyone. And I don't want to label all bodybuilders no, and all not. powerlifters as bitches. That's not what I'm saying because I'll end up getting myself in a lot of trouble here. But what I'm saying is that there tends to be a lot more politics. There tends to be a lot more ego. And when I got introduced to the calisthenics sport, I was like, wow, fuck. Like the majority of people get along really well. And not only do they get along, they're so welcoming. You know, I, I see Chris doing it all the time. Like we'll be training down in Santa Monica and someone will ask a question and next thing you know, you know, he's, he's given someone the pointers and, you know, before you know it, you know, within, within, within five minutes, you've now got a convert. And is that a common theme that you've seen within Calum? 100%. What 100%. is it about that? Like that, because that's not necessarily common. <laughs> so I think first and foremost, I think as human beings, we strive to be active. Mm. You know, like we, we are meant to get our muscles work, whether it be, you know, in the past where there was more laborious work or today where we do it to supplement the lack of physical activity that we have in our daily lives. And I think that when you look at what bodybuilding entails, it's really focused on physique. It's really based on aesthetics and looks versus calisthenics is more based on performance and skill work. And mobility. Yes. And I think a lot of people that have uh, ventured into calisthenics found themselves having a lot of questions and finding someone to give them some sort of answer. And therefore, when they reach that stage of, of understanding, they're more willing to share it because someone helped them out, mm. right? Someone showed them the way, yeah. right? And in bodybuilding, I remember somebody telling me a story about how Arnold Schwarzenegger used to give the wrong advice to people because he wanted to always win and have the edge, Yes, right? And again, it's one of those things where it's, a little more ego-driven if you're just looking in front of the mirror and saying, how can I look better mm. versus being out there and you know trying to hold your balance upside down and you know that you might look dumb, but you're trying to do it, you're really starting to break down your ego and that's making it a, little, a lot more easy to relate to other people and to not oh, judge other people, but so see them on true. the same level playing field. And now when you say that, you, you know, I realize how humbling the sport is. Like it really is a humbling sport. You have to work so hard to get so little in return. And it's interesting with my own journey. I know when I first started Cali, um, you know, my body responds very quickly and I started putting on size and I was like, and I went back into bodybuilding mode and I was like, oh, I'm going to use Cali and get jacked. (laughs) 
And what happened was my ego took over from the from the the, the the visual perspective and I started getting quite bulky, but then I started noticing how it was affecting my ability to actually perform a lot of the movements. And then I found myself actually having this, this, this dilemma. I was like, well, okay, do you want to be big or do you want to be effective? Do you want to be big or do you want to be efficient? Do you want to look good or do you want to be mobile? And it was a real like, okay, okay, I'll, 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 it's not about looking big anymore. It's now about this. And that in itself, you know, requires a level of humility to let go of how, how you look. So what you're saying, like it's, it's bang on. Like it really is. It's a humble sport yeah. because it humbles you. You work so hard to get so little in return. And so um, first Battle of the Bars, what, where, where are we at now with Battle of the Bars? So right now I think we're at 35 or 36. Wow. You know, so it's, the first one was launched in 2012. Yeah. And we've done Battle of the Bars. You now do them all over the world? Is this yeah. something you license other organizations to do now? Correct. Yeah, right. Have you had a Battle of the Bars in Australia yet? We have not. Ooh. We might have to have a chat about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You interested in setting, doing a Battle of Bars in Sydney? Yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Okay. There's a, there's a very strong growing community of calisthenics in Australia, so it'd be, it'd be great. I'd be happy to be involved in um, yeah, putting something together if you, if you want to do that. But you're moving in. Are you moving now a little bit away from calisthenics? Like I know you've got this massive passion now for Ayurveda and yoga. I'm not moving away from calisthenics. I think I'm moving a, a little bit away from the extreme variations of calisthenics. Right. And I'm not even saying I'm moving away from it because, um, you know, if I was to do a training session, other people might, from their perspective, view some of the movements I'm doing as extreme. I think I'm just viewing it more from the point of view as I'm more concerned about somebody that doesn't have a proper squat than somebody that wants to learn how to planche. Right. If you want to learn how to planche, you're in a very, very good place in your life. Now, if you have an ugly squat, you can barely squat, you need some help in your physical abilities and being able to get to that point of having a proper squat. So I'm looking at it more from the perspective now of the masses, more from the perspective of the person who has the nine to five, who wants to come home, but he has a kid, but they can do a 20 minute workout at home. And they know what they can do because they're not walking into the gym where they can go from 50 to 60 pound dumbbells. Right? They don't have that option. But if I can guide them and say, okay, once you get to this many push-ups, this is the next variation you're going to get to. And once you get to here, this is the next variation you're going to get to. They can continue to see progress without falling to the trap of having a routine. Yeah. Nothing's wrong with the routine unless it lasts months and months and months and years. Right? So as far as progress is concerned. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's where I'm more focused on. I'm not so more focused on the planches and one arm planche and who's going to be the first person to land the 900 in competition. Don't get me wrong. That's all great. And that's all in the realm of sport. And I'm not trying to say I can't enjoy the sport. I very much enjoy it. But as far as my, my labor, my effort goes, I want to affect the masses. I want the average person to be able to know that they can go home, get their workout in and get the same type of results as they are in the gym. Mm. And um, just make it accessible where people understand it. Because like you said earlier, there's a lack of understanding, right? Mm. One guy is doing a muscle up and two weeks later, he's trying to planche. There's a discrepancy between what he thinks he can do and what the body can actually do. Yeah. And I want to fill that gap. Right. And so are you, are you essentially almost creating a new methodology? Like are you, are you combining aspects of yoga and calisthenics together to create something that's a little bit more efficient and effective that can be done in 20 minutes? I mean, I don't want to say it can be done in 20 minutes. I want to say the more time you put in, the more you get out of it. Yeah, of course. Right? I mean, if you want to take one day, one step forward each day, you're going to get so far. If you take five steps forward each day, you're going to get a little further. Yeah. But um, I just want to create a roadmap. Whether you want to put one step forward or five steps forward is up to you. I just want to guide you. I just want you to know what follows what in an efficient way that's not going to get you injured and that's going to get you where you want. So what was the appeal about yoga? Because I find it interesting because the more I do Kali, the more I'm interested in yoga. And it's just happening naturally. And I'm like, what, what is it about that? So I'll, for me, I viewed calisthenics as starting to learn to master my own body, mm. right? To a certain degree, right? If, if I try to do a handstand and I can't, that means I have a limit, limited of, of uh, I'm limited in the amount of uh, control I have and the smaller muscles of my extensors, my fingers, right? 
the more I practice it, the more control I have of those muscles, mm. those cells. So I'm gaining greater and greater mm. control of my body. And I think that was to me like step number one in leading me into yoga because I think yo- as you start to enter into yoga, it's a lot deeper than that. I would say the difference between calisthenics and yoga is not a, just a flexibility thing. There's a ton of different ways to do yoga, but it's more of, of a spiritual aspect of it where I'm trying to knock down the ego. I'm trying to get rid of the ego. And I think, not to say that in calisthenics, um, there's no ego. We compared it to bodybuilding and how there might be less ego there than there is mm. there. But you could definitely find a lot of ego in calisthenics. And in any definitely, competition. Yeah. Your ego is probably leading you to do some of the cool things. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, so, yeah. That cool. Um, I think it's just a transition for me. Um, and I think for... Did you find it was a, quite an easy and natural transition? No. Because I see a lot of alignment between calisthenics and yoga. You know, and maybe it's just, well, they both have handstands. <laughs> I don't know. Like, but to me, as I, I look at it, I go, they, they seem quite complimentary. Oh, they complement each other 100%. Yeah. But the practices are different. I think yeah, one's yeah, yeah. a little bit more strength-based, right? Getting you right. stronger. Not to say yoga can't get you stronger, but it's not focused on just getting you stronger. Right. And um, yoga is a little more about making you a little bit more flexible to your body, to life, your mentality, mm. to be able to adjust versus the other one is about strength. And I think when you combine the areas where you need more strength and the areas where you need to be more flexible, it can create a perfect dynamic. Yeah, right. Did you find that calisthenics made yoga easier? Not necessarily. Did I you think. find that becoming better at yoga made calisthenics easier? Yes. In what way? You become a little bit more fluid. Um, I think that by gaining greater mobility and flexibility and even just greater activation of your body that translates when you're doing other strength movements because you're not so rigid where you're having to jerk and push through. Yeah, It's a little bit more smooth as you start to work through opening up your fibers, lengthening them, creating more space. Um, it kind of just facilitates those movements a little easier. Mm. And then you, you also, because you did your teacher training for yoga, is that right? Yeah, I, I just took my yoga teacher training. So I just became a certified yoga instructor. How's that? It was good? Yeah, I love yeah. it. And now Ayurveda is also on the radar. Yes. Because I know uh, Jenna, it's your, your, yes. your fiance. Yes, correct. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner. Correct. Uh, what's your interest in Ayurveda? So Ayurveda is the sister science of yoga, mm-hmm. right? So actually learning about Ayurveda made me more open to doing yoga. Really? Right. Okay. It was very hard to get me to do yoga. And the is, more, it, is Ayurveda what got you into yoga? Yes. Yeah, right. So the more I started to learn about Ayurveda and I was making these connections, it brought me to yoga. I was like, this is the sister science. I believe in this. Okay. I have to do this. <laughs> so what were those things that made the connection for you that went, wow, okay, I'm sold now? So Ayurveda is based on um, observing the, the elements in the, in the universe, right? So you have air, you have space, you have uh, earth, fire, and water. And everything's a combination of those. And think of all those as having qualities, right? So for example, fire is very hot. There's light, right? A water is wet. There's liquidity to it. And every aspect of life can be tied to those elements. And us as human beings, we have our unique combination of those elements. We all have air. We all have space. We all have water. We all have earth. You know, earth being more like our bones, our tissues, you know, water being the liquids in us, our fires, our metabolism. It's what transforms right so when we eat it transforms yeah yeah um so once and and it's very deep so the more that you start to learn about it and you might make these connections it's just astonishing because you get to know yourself on a whole nother level like once you understand your own what's called a property which is your own unique combination of earth fire air everything i mentioned Mm -hmm. then you start to understand what things keep you balanced what things in nature are necessary for you to stay balanced Right, because every food, for example, has certain qualities depending on where they're grown, the season that they were grown. You know, some are very sweet, right? And a sweet fruit is considered to be very cooling in Ayurveda, right? And then you have things that are very heating. Well, if you're already somebody who's very uh, what's called pita, which is fire and water, if you're very fiery, and you're eating heating foods, it's going to very be very easy to get you very heated up, mm. right? And you start to learn these principles and um, 
it just makes a whole whole world of difference in in how you're able to to live. So, what were some of the bigger changes that you made when you when you worked this shit out? Well, I think first and foremost, it's starting to make the connections between what I'm eating and how it's affecting me. Right. I could start to see when I'm more irritable, when I'm a little more calm. Um, I can see what kind of gets me going versus what makes me a little more mellow. Um, what makes me feel heavy versus what makes me feel light. And you start to make these connections and it's just easier to start to live your life in a way where you're avoiding falling into these traps of getting overheated or getting um, you know, caught up in certain things because you're getting fired up, right? If you know how to cool yourself, well, then you can you know, keep a lot of things from, from blowing up. Did you used to be a little fiery? Yes, definitely, <laughs> definitely. You seem like such a cool cucumber. Maybe that's why. <laughs> was it suppressing it, was it? Or it, what, what do you mean? Because you seem so cool on the outside. Like you'd see, as I said, one of the first things I noticed when you came in, I was like, wow, this guy's like really zen. Like he's got a real calm, you know, solid energy. But one of the things that I've observed with, with, with sometimes, not all the times, with people who can be quite zen is they often has, have a history of suppressing stuff. No, I, I never no? suppress. I don't suppress anything now. Okay. But I think at one time, I was definitely now thinking about it a lot more aggressive. Right. And a lot more, I carried a lot more anger. Yeah. Um, you seem like such a sweet guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not suppressing it. Yeah. I, I didn't suppress it then. Right. I let okay. it out. You let it out. But, but it was the unhealthy expressions. You know, I had a lot of moments of, you know, um, my fiance having to, you know, Talk to me later on, like, was this really necessary? Was this really what you wanted to, to do mm. as far as, you know, having to, to have my ego show someone that I didn't like them, right? Like, did you really have to do that? And, um, what a great you know, girlfriend. I think, yeah, 100%. Wow. That's why we're getting married. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Keep that one. Um, you know, and I think, again, I think learning about Ayurveda, learning about yourself, learning your, what your pro- property is, it helps. Right, and the more that you understand it, you even start to understand other people. And it, the science of it goes so deep where, you know, on the surface, you know, Jenna can look at someone and tell you more or less what their property probably is. Like you have, you have a certain color eyes. That's because of the fire in you, and you probably have more pita in you. Um, you know, and then there's Ayurvedic doctors that go down generations that you could find in India. They can check your pulse and literally tell you, you know, your kidneys are failing you. Mm. You know, you're and and at first I thought, how are they doing this? And Jenna tells me, well, I have a book on it. You can go look at it. I pop open the book, and obviously I'm not going to understand all this stuff. I just need enough to just get a make it click, make it click. And they explain it like your body's like a valve system, right? Your heart's pumping, and there's so much blood going to different organs. And so what they're measuring is when they're uh, checking the pulse, they're able to tell where where those valves may be. Because there's three, pu- more, three pulses, right? Is yes, that right? Yeah. Where it's sending more blood, right? And if it's sending more blood somewhere, it's probably because that's where it's needed. And so they can check these differences by just checking your pulse. And the science of it just goes so deep where I'm just amazed by it. And I think that I think that if society started to embrace Ayurveda and understand Ayurveda, we'd be gravitating towards a greater society. In what way? I think, first of all, it would start to decrease a lot of disease. Yeah. I think a lot of diseases, in Ayurveda, according to Ayurveda, are brought about by imbalances in the body. And the more imbalanced you are, the more that you're susceptible to creating this, these diseases, right? So in the Western world, we use the word toxins in the body. In Ayurveda, they use the word ama. So as you create ama in the body and it's circulating through your blood, it's going to start to go to the areas that are weakest. Mm-hmm. So if it starts to accumulate in one area over time, it'll start to become more and more toxic to the point where it becomes a disease. Mm. And even diseases of mental illness, for example, have a lot to, Ayurveda believes a lot of it has to do with imbalances and what they call vata, air and space. There's too many, um, there's too much of those qualities where it's disrupting people, and that's what creates a lot of the mental illnesses. Right. So I'm not, I can't go too deep into that aspect of yeah. it because it's very, very deep. It's and quite deep. I just know general, general yeah. aspects yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that it could definitely play a major role in society in all kinds of ways, from lowering disease, mental illness, just overall happiness. 
So I'm going to assume that it's, it's, it's helped you progress with your yoga, the Ayurveda, yeah. and it's helped you also with your calisthenics. Yeah. And I'm going to assume it's just helped you with life. <clears throat> 100%. Yeah. Yeah, right. And also with your relationship. Because it sounds like it helps you understand more about your own. It seems to me like it's it's a it's, a, it's got a bit of a personality profile in there as well. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think uh, Jenna and I definitely know how to communicate with each other a lot better because of Ayurveda, and we can tell when the other is, you know, in a certain mood, right? So she knows how I am. I'll get fired up, and it's not about saying, you know you're wrong or I'm wrong or you're right and I'm right. It's more of this is his property. People that are really PETA, for example, they're the type to get fired up and there's nothing you can do. You can just let them cool off. So she'll let me cool off, right? But not everybody's like that. And it's not about trying to make a one-size-fits-all. It's about understanding the unique circumstances of everyone and their property and being able to say it's not that earth is better than water and that water is better than fire and that fire is better than air they all have their qualities they're all necessary we all have them all but once we recognize to identify which ones are dominant you can understand why somebody might get a little fired up easier or why some people might not get fired up over anything and they're chill all the time one of the best examples is um, what's called a kapha is very earth and water so think of somebody who's very generally big right big joints big guy probably like really intimidating looking and then you go up to them and they're like teddy bears. They're so sweet. Why? Because they're earth. They're very grounded, mm. right? They don't sway. They're not like, like batas that are all over the place in the air. They're very grounded. You can't really get them mad. You can push their buttons a little bit and they, they won't take it personal. They'll just laugh at it. But then you go to someone else, well, they might not be so grounded. So as you start to understand these concepts, it definitely plays a role in can play a role in relationships and how you deal with one another and accepting one another. Wow, that's huge. So jumping back to Cali for a second, um, one of the things that we touched on was how there's, there's, there's not necessarily a, uh, a lot of information available to learn how to progress effectively and efficiently. And oftentimes, you know, there might be people training in, you know, out in the middle of the desert, you know, in a little desert town somewhere, whether it be in the US or Australia or somewhere in the world, but for those people who are watching on Instagram and YouTube and go, ah, oh, I really want to get into this calisthenics, like where is a good place to start when you don't have access to a trainer but you've got access to the <clears throat> internet? It's hard to say just because there's so the much information. The book hasn't been written yet? Huh? The book hasn't been written yet? The book hasn't. <laughs> in my opinion, that's yeah. my opinion. No. I don't want to. I think it's a fair point. I don't want to say that, but that's what I believe. That's yeah. what I think. Um, the book hasn't been written. I really think that once the book is done, people are going to run with it. You know, and that's a good thing. You know, people are going to use it. They're going to make videos. They're going to start to put out information. It's not that once the book is out, it's not that I'm going to have to make a YouTube video and, and go through every single level and every single movement, which I plan to do. But it's more along the lines of other people will start to use this information because it's now part of their arsenal, mm. right? This is my way of, I, I want to give to the world. Like, obviously, you know, I do want to be compensated for writing a book and my time and my effort because... You know, this Fair is exchange. where I'm putting my my yeah. my efforts. But really what I want is to empower people. I want people to take this and be able to run with it. I want this to be, be the standard where there's no discussion that, you know, a, a dip goes after a push-up. It's common knowledge. Yeah. You know, and the steps in between are common knowledge. Like, that's my goal. That's what I want. So how far off is the book? The Well, all my charts are now done. Really? So I have like 160 movements all divided up, charted, push, pull, um, you know, depending on, on the angles. And um, now it's just a matter of starting to formalize the, the writing of them. I think the okay. hardest part was getting that chart. Okay. So now I'm writing and I'm hoping, you know, that by the end of sometime this year, I'll be done writing it. Okay. So. What, what's your goal to have, a, to have when is it? When's your goal to have it published? My goal would be... To put it out there. Feasibly Maybe like early next year. Okay. And have you got a working title? Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. But I'm thinking something to like um, calisthenic strength systems. Yeah. Just like what it, what it says in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Nice and simple. Yeah. Nice and simple. So where do you see the sport going to from here? Well, first of all, I don't see it going anywhere. Okay. Okay. So 
Um, it's staying here. It's staying here. Yeah. I think that how you said it was decentralized. I think all those pockets will gradually grow. Some yeah. of them will die off, and the new ones will start. Um, and I think that that will continue as calisthenics is more understood and more recognized, and as the two are under, uh, will go hand in hand in growing. Right. The more that these small gyms start to put up their own little events and competitions, along with more information being available and more people starting to practice it, I think the two will start to find each other and it'll start to compound how fast it grows. Yeah, right. And in terms of Battle of the Bars, because it, it, I know you're still, uh, you, your focus has shifted a little bit more into the yoga and Ayurvedic space, but with the WCO, what are the plans for WCO that you're aware of? It's just to, to continue to grow the sport. You know, yeah. I think the sport does an amazing job of bringing awareness to calisthenics. Yeah. You know, so it, it definitely has its place. Um, Do you ever see Cali being an Olympic sport? No. No, because I think that there's definitely a Too shift. Too hard to judge? Well, not, it's not a, about the judging. I think it's more in terms of the way previous generations have seen certain historical... Uh, things like the Olympics. Yeah. And I think that there's like a newer way of seeing things where yes. they really don't <laughs> care for those yeah, titles or. It doesn't matter if it's in the Olympics or not. Yeah. yeah. People, you know what I mean? You might point out something to someone and be like, what ah, is it's that? refreshing. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's unfortunate. I'm not trying to say that. I didn't that. even watch the Olympics. <laughs> but um, I don't think so. I think it's more along the lines of uh, maybe like the X Games. Yes. Right, more yeah, about I could extreme, see it in the X Games, extreme yeah. side of, of things. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And what about you? Where to for for you from here? Finish my book. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm hoping with the timing of this, we might be able to time it and have this, you know, a, a similar release. I'd like to use this as a as an opportunity to promote your book when it does come out. Yeah, I mean, um, that's what I'm working on, and then I'm thinking of of con- uh, getting educated in like Vedic philosophies and sciences. Okay. So something I'm now considering, especially since, um, you know, Jenna does it. So but for right now, just I'm really focused on getting my book done. Yeah, fair enough. You know? And so where can people go and find more about you? My website, yeah. kennethgalarzo.com. <laughs> and then I'll have, um, you know, upcoming information about the book. And Yeah. What about social media? Are you across social media? Yeah, on Instagram, progressive underscore calisthenics. Nice. And I really don't do too much Facebook stuff. Okay. Um, I have a page, but I'm not active on it. Yeah, right. And then uh, as far as like friends, I stopped allowing friends maybe like three years ago, <laughs> yeah. unless I've met you in person. Yeah. So I kind of... That's the problem that with out. Facebook. You know, I look at my Facebook feed and I'm like, who the fuck are these people? <laughs> I accepted too many friend requests. From fucking or people sometimes I, don't know. I would see my feed and I'm like, why am I having feeds in like... Spanish and Portuguese <laughs> yeah. and Taiwanese. Like. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's mainly uh, probably um, Instagram. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate your time and, yeah, I hope we can, you know, give a little bit more um, visibility to the sport and also to your book. Thank you so much for being here, mate. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. No, I appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by Nail It and Scale It, the world's leading fast growth program for business. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where you get to see all of these interviews in the flesh. Share this podcast with your friends and drop me a review on iTunes. I would love to hear what you guys think and also let you know that your comments help make sure that we keep producing killer content just like this. And if you'd like to stay up to date with all of my movements, upcoming podcasts, events, and much more, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com, and also check us out on all social media on the handle at Kerwin Ray. Thanks for joining us.